Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Friday, January 26, 2024. With the U.S. House expected soon to approve an extension of the Earned Income Tax Credit, former House Speaker Paul Ryan, Republican from Wisconsin, joins J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon to discuss the benefits of that credit and other ways to support working households. President Joe Biden announces a pause in approving new liquefied natural gas export terminals in the United States. He says it's to analyze their impact on climate change, the economy, and national security. Alabama's Attorney General Steve Marshall talks about last night's execution of a death row inmate using a new method, nitrogen hypoxia. There's also a question at the White House briefing about this to the Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Donald Trump leaves the courtroom in the middle of closing arguments in the defamation lawsuit against him in New York City. And then it goes to the jury and they award the plaintiff, E. Jean Carroll, $83.3 million in damages. International Court of Justice rules that Israel must take precautions to prevent acts of genocide in its war against Hamas in Gaza. We'll hear from the presiding judge and get reaction from White House spokesperson John Kirby and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. An article in The Hill about a bill to cut taxes reads, a bipartisan deal that would reduce business taxes while expanding the child tax credit set up a political dilemma for Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana, as he weighs whether to bypass objections from within his own ranks to bring it to the floor as soon as next week. On the one end, swing district Republicans from the states who have long pushed to increase the state and local tax or SALT credit have expressed frustration that their top priority, which is also opposed by many Republicans who argue it incentivizes high state taxes, was not included in the bill. On the other end, the hardliners who are growing increasingly frustrated with leadership over issues including government spending are knocking the compromise for keeping migrants in the country illegally eligible for child tax credits and for not going far enough in other areas. They're also irked that the tax package could advance as other priorities remain stuck. That was from The Hill. Today, former House Speaker Paul Ryan, Republican of Wisconsin, joined J.P. Morgan Chase Chair and CEO Jamie Dimon at the Bipartisan Policy Center to discuss the earned income tax credit and, as BPC puts it, other supports for working families. Why have you come together? Why is this issue so important to you to talk about building greater economic security for American families? Paul, let's start with you and then Jamie. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, just as the comptroller said, this is a bipartisan issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, The EITC, um, I think it was originally a Milton Friedman idea called the negative income tax, going back the day, Mm -hmm. has had bipartisan roots, but it it is proven to be very effective. Uh, When I was chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, I worked feverishly to expand the EITC. Um, a couple of reforms, which we can get into, didn't have yet to materialize. But if you're pushing for a, a society that is, that is known by upward mobility and you're striving to equal, for a quality of opportunity, the best tool in the arsenal that we have had today is the EITC. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that we all acknowledge, Democrats, Republicans, and everybody in between. So then the question is, how do we make it better? How do we afford these things? And that's the kind of conversation we have to have. And I think, frankly, you don't think of Congress as this bipartisan place. Um, I see we Roy do. Blunt here. <laughs> well, I know you do. Most people who watch you know, the news don't see it that way. EITC is. It is. Mm-hmm. And so let's keep it that way and let's, let's figure out how we can make it better. Terrific. And Jamie, why are you yeah. interested in yeah, this? So, you know, the, if you look at, this is, I think, as much of a no-brainer policy as any I've ever seen. A, a woman or man 
You make $14,000 a year with three children, gets a $6,000 check at the end of the year. Uh, if there are unfortunately no children, they get, I think, $600, something like that. I would get rid of the child thing. I would make a negative income tax. It costs $60 billion a year. You know, if you can put another $60 billion a year, it goes into the household. The money gets used for food, for kids, for education. The data, and we got to do a far better job in this, the data, they have better health, better outcomes, jobs bring dignity. If you go back 50 or 75 years ago, you know, if you, can, if you didn't finish high school, but you can work with your hands and work hard, you can earn a living wage. That isn't true in today's modern world. And, you know, you unskilled, but that first job is that first rung in the ladder. It brings dignity. That money would all be spent in local communities. Uh, I, I just think it's unbelievable. And with all the polarization we have today, that, that population, the lower-income folks, have more crime, worse health, uh, less good schools, and we can talk about that a little bit too. This is like a no-brainer lift-up society. And I would pay for it by taxing the wealthy a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> we won't go into the specific. That's a different program. We won't go to this, but no. But it, 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 this is one that you know you could have something. This is one. There's so many tax breaks out there that shouldn't be there. That salt. Uh, Let's get rid of salt completely. I agree with you. Yeah. And here, here I'm a New Yorker, and all my friends in New York hate me because I think they should deduct it. I don't think Arkansas should be paying for New York's, you know, pr profligacy and expending. And so. I, that's a, that was, Let's underline that statement right there. Or we'll say Wisconsin for New York's profit. Yeah, I get Yeah. So I think it's really important we do something like this. I love the fact that Paul's been, you've been trying to do this for nonstop for oh, as I've known you. And, and Well, and, and talk about, Jamie, the, you know, the criticality of now with inflation as it is and the economic resiliency of, uh, of American yeah. families in, in light of this. Yeah, well, this, first of all, more of this would go to rural than big city. Yeah. More would go to, you know, a lot would be skewed to minorities. Uh, uh, and the critical I have now is that th this is the time to do something like this in modern society. We can afford it. Um, it helps so many people, and, and we should. And I love the fact you're picking this up because I think you know institutes like bipartisan institute will help get it done. You know, help bring people together and uh, fight for something like this is good. That's why we're here. But it, uh, this, this polarization issue is such a big deal. But if you look at it, you know, and you have parts of your population, I think if you look at the numbers for 20 years, there was basically no increase in income for the lower 25 percent. Mm -hmm. And that's the percent that I think is eligible for this tax credit. That's not true recently, by the way. And literally, yeah, recently. The, recent, the recent last year has been different, but that was 20 years. And like I said, they're also the ones who may not have medical insurance, the ones who lost their job during COVID. They paid a price, and the price wasn't paid by most of the people in this room. And so I think now's the time to, to lift up society and help. So, Paul, you know, the doability on the Hill, you've said it. There's wide bipartisan yeah. support in a policy way, but the works are a little gummed up these days. What will it take to get this done? It's not in the current um, compromise tax extender package because mm -hmm. it doesn't have some big deadline that's causing that to happen, which is the, the Wyden-Smith deal that, that's, mm -hmm. that's probably going to pass. Mm -hmm. um, I think a missing part of this conversation that I think we now can arrive at is the role technology plays in improving the efficacy of this program. Mm. Let me give you an example. When I was Ways and Means Chair, um, I'm not a big fan of the lump sum concept of it. You wait till the end of the year, get, then get a lump sum. I would rather have it embedded in the paycheck itself mm -hmm. so that at each pay period you have that higher pay so that you can budget more accordingly. You can budget more. I mean, it's impressive people can you know, get, pay for one thing, but it'd be better if it was actually in your paycheck and you had higher wages that you could recognize. Mm -hmm. And it really demonstrates the make work pay right. um, notion. The reason we couldn't fix this when I was you know, running um, the committee in charge of this is technology. The IRS and the Treasury Department literally did not have the technology to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. 
And when, as we toyed with the idea, we could have converted to a Social Security credit, but that means just eviscerating the entire program. So by now, surely technology can solve this problem. And, and as you look at sort of the digitization of money, the digitization of benefits, and there's a longer conversation to add here, I think that's the key. Because you can do two things. You can make sure that it goes to who needs to go to. 300,000 and change people in Maryland qualify for but don't get it. I mean, technology could probably help solve that. Technology could bet it in your monthly paycheck. Uh, if we have program integrity problems, which are you know, waste, fraud, and abuse, right. technology can clear a lot of that up. The administrative difficulties that we have, technology can fix a lot of that. Childless adults, younger people. We want to encourage older people. I'm 53. I like to think I feel like 43. You know, if you're 73, you might want to keep working, but you can't get the EITC. So there are a lot of things that it can do for labor force participation, for keeping, getting younger people in the marketplace, older people to stay in the marketplace. Technology can fix a lot of that. Mm -hmm. It can make it work better. It can make it work cheaper. And so to me, that's something that Congress should wrestle with. And that's not that controversial. And it will help um, shrink the score of what it takes to expand this. And we have um, a lot of expiring provisions coming in tax law in, in, at the end of, in the next session of Congress. Right. There is where you have churn of, of tax policy where you probably have an opportunity to, to make some of these expansions. And, and you can't just do a one-off thing because without getting into the way tax laws work, uh, bigger reform makes things like this easier. Amen. Although that means more resources for the IRS. And that, well, that obviously has been a little controversial. Technology. I, yeah. I, I, not IRS agents to do a bunch of audits and harass farmers and small business people. Let's just invest in technology. There are countries where you don't have to file your taxes because it's all done automatically. Yeah. Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan Chase Chair and CEO, also former U.S. House Speaker Paul Ryan. He was Republican from Wisconsin. Moderator Margaret Spellings with the Bipartisan Policy Center, its president and former Education Secretary under President George W. Bush. And you can find their full discussion at our video library at cspan.org. Returning to the Hill article about the tax package expected in the House next week, a vote there. They say House Democrats expect the bill to come up for a floor vote next week under a fast-track suspension of the rules process requiring a two-thirds majority for passage. While Democrats do not expect to whip the bill, they do expect it to pass with wide bipartisan support. Republican leaders have not yet confirmed that schedule. The suspension process gets around having to pass a procedural rule to consider the bill, a typically party-line vote that Republican rebels in this Congress have used to block legislation as a form of protest. That from The Hill. This from the Associated Press. The Biden administration is delaying consideration of new natural gas export terminals in the United States, even as gas shipments to Europe and Asia have soared since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The election year decision by President Joe Biden aligns with environmentalists who fear the huge increase in exports in the form of liquefied natural gas, or LNG, is locking in potentially catastrophic planet warming emissions when the Democratic president has pledged to cut climate pollution in half by 2030. Reporting from the Associated Press, the president's national climate advisor, Ali Zaidi, joined today's White House news conference. The Biden-Harris administration is announcing a pause on pending applications to export liquefied natural gas to non-free trade agreement countries uh, from here in the United States. The department's pause will remain in effect until the agency 
updates key economic and environmental analyses. These are the analyses that underpin the way the Department of Energy makes decisions about these authorization applications. Specifically, the Department of Energy has said that it will focus on better understanding energy costs and the implications of future exports on energy costs for American consumers and manufacturers, on energy security for the United States here and around the world. Third, on greenhouse gas emissions, and in particular methane emissions, which we now know are more potent uh, than previously understood and also on the burden that export potentially places for the frontline communities where this gas is chilled, liquefied, and then exported. We need to do that accounting uh, with the benefit of also a sharper and more current read on the market, both on the demand for global LNG as well as the projections around long-term supply. Let me be clear. The U.S. is already the number one exporter of LNG, and we have been and remain unwavering in our commitment to support our allies and partners around the world. But we have to absorb, at this moment, we have to absorb very clearly all that is in front of us. From day one, President Biden has listened to the science, he's looked out for frontline communities, and he's followed the facts. That's absolutely critical. Ali Zaidi is the White House National Climate Advisor today in the White House briefing room. President Biden in a statement saying, while MAGA Republicans willfully deny the urgency of the climate crisis, condemning the American people to a dangerous future, my administration will not be complacent. We will not cede to special interests. We will heed the calls of young people and frontline communities who are using their voices to demand action from those with the power to act. Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican of Louisiana, posting, Today I led 25 of my Republican colleagues in blasting President Biden for pausing all pending non-FTA export permit applications. LNG exports are lifelines for our allies. Without them, European leaders will have to decide between depriving their citizens of energy or actively funding Putin. And from House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican, also from Louisiana. Louisiana is a major exporter of LNG. He writes, President Biden's decision to place a pause on pending natural gas export terminals is outrageous. By bending the knee to climate activists, the president is empowering Russia, weakening U.S. energy security, enforcing Europe's reliance on dirty Russian exports and abject failure. On Wall Street today, the Dow up 60, Nasdaq down 55, S&P down 3. Bloomberg News reports that Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said the U.S. is considering new requirements for cloud providers to report any time a foreign user tries to develop models that power artificial intelligence. The article says the Commerce Department for months has been seeking to follow up on China-focused export controls limiting access to the most powerful computing chips. At the same time, computing power can be accessible using cloud providers. Secretary Raimondo was part of a panel on AI and innovation at the Hoover Institution. Today, actually, uh, kind of coincident and lucky that I'm here to break this news, uh, we're doing two things. One is uh, we're using the Defense Production Act, which is um, authority that we have because of the president, to require 
to do a survey requiring companies to share with us every time they train a new large language model and share with us uh, the results, the safety data, so we can review it. Uh, so that's invoking the DPA. The second thing is we're beginning the process of requiring uh, U.S. cloud companies to tell us every time a non-U.S. entity uses their cloud to train a large language model. So these are two specific things that we're announcing now. Uh, it's going to be a pretty rapid cadence of announcements coming out of the Commerce Department in the next few months focused on safety. But we need to know this. We need to know what are you training, when are you training, what are the results, what's the data, uh, what, what foreign actors, malign or otherwise, are trying to get access to your cloud to train their models. So this, this is um, what we're working on now. All of which, look, if we allow bad things to happen with AI, nothing will stifle innovation more than that. Yes. Like some people say, oh, you're over-regulating. How is it good if we allow AI to run amok, get into hands of non-state actors, then the, then the hammer will come down and really stifle innovation. So we, like I say, we're just trying to walk that balance of speeding up innovation, but doing it safely. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo at the Hoover Institution. This is Washington Today. Alabama's Attorney General Steve Marshall held a press conference this morning to talk about the execution last night of Kenneth Smith by nitrogen hypoxia. First time this method of execution has been used in the United States and the first time there's a new execution method introduced since 1982 when lethal injection started to be used. The Alabama Attorney General said his state is ready to help other states that want to use this new execution method. I want to tell the family, especially the victim's sons, Mike and Chuck, how genuinely sorry I am for the horrific manner in which their mother lost her life. But I also want to apologize to them for how long it took for this sentence to be carried out. I watched the family address the media last night, in which they showed remarkable humility and grace in the most difficult circumstances that no one else would want to be in. You know that forgiveness and justice are not mutually exclusive, and their words will stick with me for a long time. I hope the family has taken some comfort in the events of last night in knowing that there were men and women in this office who did not back away when it would have been easy to do so, and other states may have done the same thing, but instead they continued to fight. Our capital litigators have handled this case for more than 30 plus years. They could have followed the path of other states and gone the path of least resistance, and that would have been easier. But yet I can't think of a better group of lawyers to be able to handle this case. And as the numbers prove, they're the best team of capital litigators in the country, bar none, and I could not be prouder of the work they've done. Rich Anderson, thank you. I also want to acknowledge the incredible work of our Solicitor General's division. They get these cases across the finish line every time, and they do it better than anyone in the country. And a tremendous thank to Commissioner John Hamm and his dedicated team at the Alabama Department of Corrections. Everyone in this room knows they are the first team in the country to carry out nitrogen execution, 
and what occurred last night was textbook. They deserve a great deal of thanks and credit for being willing to be the one to step up first in the country to do so, and I now suspect that many states will follow. As of last night, nitrogen epoxy as a means of execution is no longer an untested method. It is a proven one. It's the method that Kenny Smith ultimately chose, along with now 43 other death row inmates in our state. And thanks to the Fair Justice Act, which our administration passed during our first year in office, we are finally starting to see these cases move faster. It is my hope that one day, sooner rather than later, that the Alabama Attorney General won't have to stand up here and talk about how many decades some families had to wait before justice was served. To my colleagues across the country, many of which were watching last night, Alabama has done it, and now so can you, and we stand ready to assist you in implementing this method in your states. Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall at a news conference today in his state. An Associated Press article reads the execution took about 22 minutes from the time between the opening and closing of the curtains and to the viewing room. Smith appeared to remain conscious for several minutes. For at least two minutes, he appeared to shake and writhe on the gurney, sometimes pulling against the restraints. That was followed by several minutes of heavy breathing until breathing was no longer perceptible. There was a question about this execution method at today's White House briefing to the press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre. Last night, Alabama executed a man uh, with nitrogen gas, which is the first time that that new method has been used. I'm wondering if the White House has any reaction to that. Yeah, we do. Uh, the reports of Kenneth Smith uh, and, the, and uh, his death last night obviously is troubling. It is very troubling to us as an administration. It is very troubling uh, to us here at the White House. It underscores why uh, the president support the, support the attorney general's mor moratorium on federal death penalty, uh, pending review of the policies and procedures governing its use. The president has long had said and has had deep, deep, deep concerns uh, with how the death penalty is implemented and whether it is consistent, consistent with our, our values. So we are deeply uh, troubled by it, by what we heard what, by um, uh, about uh, Kenneth Smith's death. Uh, and so, um, you know, uh, it is just troubling to hear. The White House Press Secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, both the European Union and the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights condemned this execution. A spokesperson for the U.N. Human Rights Office, Ravina Shamdasani, held a news conference in Geneva. We deeply regret the execution of Kenneth Eugene Smith in Alabama, despite serious concerns that this novel and untested method of suffocation by nitrogen gas may amount to torture, cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment. The death penalty is inconsistent with the fundamental right to life, and we urge all states to put in place a moratorium on its use as a step towards universal abolition. Spokesperson for the United Nations Human Rights Office in Geneva. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected a last-minute appeal to stay the execution in Alabama by nitrogen hypoxia on the grounds that it's an experimental method and could violate the U.S. Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. The dissenters were Justices Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson. 
From USA Today, former President Donald Trump must pay advice columnist E. Jean Carroll a stunning $83.3 million for defaming her in 2019 when he denied her sexual assault allegation and said people should pay dearly for such false accusations, a federal civil court jury ruled Friday. Carroll's lawyers had asked the anonymous nine-person jury for heavy damages against the former president, and the panel didn't disappoint. Carroll was awarded $18.3 million in compensatory damages and $65 million in punitive damages. Trump, who left the courtroom before the verdict was read, fumed on social media, absolutely ridiculous. I fully disagree with both verdicts and will be appealing this whole Biden-directed witch hunt focused on me and the Republican Party. Our legal system is out of control and being used as a political weapon. That was the Truth Social Post by Donald Trump. Back to the USA Today article. Jurors in the New York federal case were instructed that when it came to punitive damages, they could consider the need to deter Trump from continuing to defame Carroll. Donald Trump testified in this case on Thursday, and then Thursday night into Friday around midnight, he posted a video. I don't even know who this woman is. I have no idea who she is, where she came from. This is another scam. It's a political witch hunt. And somehow we're going to have to fight this stuff. We cannot let our country go into this abyss. This is disgraceful. You have somebody running for office. You have a woman that's financed and lied about it. She totally lied about it by Democrat operatives, like just about the biggest one there is. And she said that wasn't true. They found that she lied about it. And the judge wasn't even, I guess, letting it be put in as evidence. The whole thing is a scam. And it's a shame. And it's a disgrace to our country. Video posted late Thursday after Donald Trump briefly testified in the E. Jean Carroll defamation trial in New York City and today's verdict million in damages. Nikki Haley, who's also running for the Republican presidential nomination this year, just like Donald Trump, posted on X about that video. Wait a second. Did Trump just say the person suing him is running for office? Is he confused again? I was not in a New York City courtroom yesterday any more than I was in charge of security at the Capitol on January 6th. I was in South Carolina meeting with voters. They'd like to see a debate between me and Trump. Washington Today continues in a moment. Hi, this is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team. I'd like to introduce you to one of the producers here at C-SPAN, my colleague, Sean. Thanks, Rachel. If you're a fan of Washington Today, we think you'll also like our evening newsletter, Word for Word, which brings you a recap of the day's most important political and policy events delivered right to your inbox. Read about what happened on Capitol Hill and at the White House and watch video highlights featuring the day's newsmakers. Hear them word for word. Join our community of informed listeners and viewers. Head over to cspan.org slash connect and subscribe to Word for Word today. Thanks for listening and staying connected with Word for Word. Subscribe now at cspan.org slash connect. Thank you. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast on the C-SPAN Now mobile app, which is free and wherever you find your podcasts. Story from the New York Times, the United Nations highest court said on Friday that Israel must take action to prevent acts of genocide by its forces in Gaza and must let more aid into the enclave. But the court did not call on Israel to immediately suspend its military campaign. The ruling by the International Court of Justice in The Hague was an initial step in a case brought by South Africa that accuses Israel of committing genocide against Palestinians in Gaza. 
Though the court has no means of enforcement, the closely watched case has deep resonance for both sides and added to international pressure on Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu over Israel's war against Hamas. That reporting from the New York Times. Here's part of the announcement of the ruling from the court's president, Judge Joan Donahue. By 15 votes to two, the state of Israel shall, in accordance with its obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in relation to the Palestinians in Gaza, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of the Convention. In particular, A, killing members of the group, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, and D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. In favor. President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judge Adhak Moseneke. Against, Judge Sebatinde, Judge Adhak Barak. By 15 votes to two, the State of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any acts described in point one above. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Kevorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judge Atakma Seneke. Against, Judge Sebatinde, Judge Adhak Barak. By 16 votes to one, the State of Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide in relation to members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judges Ad Hoc, Barak, Moseneke, against Judge Sebatinde. By 16 votes to one, the State of Israel shall take immediate and effective measures to ensure the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. International Court of Justice President Judge Joan Donahue at the court in The Hague, Netherlands. Reaction to today's ruling from the White House National Security Council spokesperson, John Kirby. He's also asked about a few other issues. President Biden's phone call with the leader of Qatar on efforts to get more hostages held by Hamas released. And the U.S. pausing additional funding for the United Nations humanitarian agency that serves Palestinians, known as UNRWA, as that organization is opening an investigation into allegations from Israel that some of its staff took part in Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel. Is the president disappointed that um, the court did not definitively dismiss the genocide claim? Uh, actually, I mean, I think the court's ruling is consistent with m- many of uh, our, our uh, uh, many of our positions and, and much of the approach that we've taken with Israel. For instance, in, you know, uh, the view that Israel has the right to take action. 
against the terrorists of that on the October 7th attack, that, that they have an obligation to be mindful of minimizing civilian casualties, that they have an obligation to assist the international community to get humanitarian assistance. And all these are things that we, uh, that we have been pushing and urging for as well. Um, in his phone call today with the Qatari Emir, did the president speak with him at all about these leaked comments from Netanyahu um, calling the country problematic and what kind of assurances did he The main purpose of the call was uh, to continue to discuss the possibilities of another hostage deal and a humanitarian pause that would go, would go along with that. So you can't say if that... The main purpose of the call was to talk about... The, the, the possibilities of getting us back uh, into another hostage deal. And the UN uh, Relief Agency um, said that they have fired some of their staff after Israel has accused them of being involved in the Hamas attack. <coughs> uh, what is the White House thinking on this? I know the State Department has said that they're suspending a temporarily. Uh, are there other steps that the U.S. is considering taking? Yeah, we have suspended any uh, outlying um, um, or yet to be allocated uh, funds for uh, for UNRWA, the UN Relief and Works Agency, um, uh, pending the results of this uh, investigation. We're obviously going to watch this very closely. We welcome uh, the UN Secretary General and the Commissioner General of UNRWA, uh, their comments today calling for a full investigation. Uh, as Secretary Blinken made clear in his call with the Secretary General yesterday, we expect that that will be a complete and thorough and transparent investigation. We all want to see that. It's good for everybody. Uh, and that uh, those who are uh, who are who who should be uh, are properly held uh, accountable for that. And as as you saw, um, the UN said even including the potential for a criminal prosecution. John Kirby, strategic communications coordinator for the White House National Security Council, in the White House briefing room. More on the International Court of Justice ruling. Associated Press reports that it amounted to an overwhelming rebuke of Israel's wartime conduct and added to mounting international pressure to halt the nearly four-month-old offensive, which has killed more than 26,000 Palestinians, decimated vast swaths of Gaza, and driven nearly 85% of its 2.3 million people from their homes. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu posted a video after the court's decision. Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country and defend our people. Like every country, Israel has an inherent right to defend itself. The vile attempt to deny Israel this fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state, and it was justly rejected. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous, and decent people everywhere should reject it. On the eve of the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, I again pledge as Israel's Prime Minister, never again. Israel will continue to defend itself against Hamas, a genocidal terror organization. On October 7th, Hamas perpetrated the most horrific atrocities against the Jewish people since the Holocaust, and it vows to repeat these atrocities again and again and again. Our war is against Hamas terrorists, not against Palestinian civilians. We will continue to facilitate humanitarian assistance and to do our utmost to keep civilians out of harm's way, even as Hamas uses civilians as human shields. We will continue to do what is necessary to defend our country and defend our people. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in a video. NATO Secretary General Jan Stoltenberg is welcoming this week's ratification by Turkey of Sweden's membership into the NATO military alliance. One country's endorsement is still required for Sweden to enter the alliance, and that is Hungary. 
The NATO Secretary General spoke about this at a news conference at NATO headquarters in Brussels, Belgium, with the visiting Prime Minister of Montenegro. Russia's war against Ukraine is nearing the two-year mark. And I welcome Montenegro's support for Ukraine, including through NATO's comprehensive assistance package. But NATO allies and the European Union need to step up and pr provide even more funding for Ukraine at this critical time. Because if, if President Putin wins in Ukraine, there is a real risk he will use force again. Today, we also discussed the preparations for our next uh, summit in, uh, uh, in Washington in July and our work to bolster NATO's deterrence and defense. Sweden's entry into NATO will make the whole alliance stronger. So I welcome this week's vote by the Grand National Assembly of Turkey to ratify Sweden's NATO membership. And I thank President Erdogan for his swift signature of the decision. I also welcome this week's clear message of support from Prime Minister Orban and his government. I look forward to Hungary's ratification as soon as the parliament reconvenes. NATO Secretary General Jan Stoltenberg. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Thursday that Ukraine has formally started the screening process to begin talks over its future membership in the European Union. And an update on U.S. aid to Ukraine, again from Associated Press. House Speaker Mike Johnson took a strong stand Friday against a bipartisan Senate deal to pair border enforcement measures with Ukraine aid, sending a letter to colleagues that aligns him with hardline conservatives determined to sink the compromise on border and immigration policy. Johnson, a Louisiana Republican, said that the legislation would have been dead on arrival in the House if leaked reports about the legislation were true, while a core group of senators negotiating the deal have not yet released text of the bill. It has already come under fire from Republicans, including Donald Trump, the likely presidential nominee, who eviscerated the deal this week as a political gift to Democrats. Speaker Johnson, in his letter, said rather than accept accountability, President Biden is now trying to blame Congress for what he himself intentionally created. And this is all from the Associated Press article, and it has this paragraph. The diminishing prospects for a deal leave congressional leaders with no clear path to approving a $110 billion White House request for emergency funding for Ukraine, Israel, immigration enforcement, and other national security needs. And finally, a friendly wager from U.S. Senators on the National Football League playoffs this weekend. Michigan's Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters challenging California's LaFonza Butler and Alex Padilla in the NFC Championship game between the Detroit Lions and San Francisco 49ers. The Michigan pair started it with this video post. Hi from Michigan's one-two punch in the United States Senate. We are so excited about the Lions and the fact that they've shown Michigan and the country true grit. And they're on the way to San Francisco, and we know that Coach Campbell and the Lions are going to beat the 49ers and go all the way to the Super Bowl. In fact, we are so sure yes. we're going to bet a great meal. Uh, we're going to reach out to our colleagues from California, Senator Padilla and Senator Butler, and uh, we're offering up uh, if uh, if for some reason you win, uh, you, we will pay a Detroit meal, which is a Fagel Pop, a Michigan craft beer, authentic uh, Coney Island hot dog, uh, as well as better made chips. But uh, 
you're not going to be eating that meal. Uh, we're going right. to we're going to have a great California right. meal. So bring it on. Bring it on go, and go, go Lions. Lions. A video from the two U.S. senators from Michigan, and it got this response via video from the senators from California. So we're going to take up. Uh, the bet of our Michigan colleagues, Senator Stabenow and Senator Peters, and throw our muscle behind the San Francisco 49ers to not only beat the Detroit Lions this weekend, but to win the Super Bowl. Senator Peters, Senator Stabenow, really? The one-two punch will meet the California tag team. Your lines are going down. And yes, we're going to put our food where our mouth is, uh, because if for some reason the Lions are able to pull it off, then you'll have coming your way some clam chowder, some sourdough bread bowls, yes, some uh, San Francisco craft beer, maybe some of the Giardelli chocolate too. That's legendary. Uh, but we're confident that the Niners are going to win. All we can say is, you know what? Welcome to competitive football. Welcome to the NFL playoffs. <laughs> this is what it's like. I know it's been a while for Detroit. <laughs> Niners, we got this. Go Niners! <laughs> Senators LaFonsa Butler and Alex Padilla in a video post. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word. It's free. And get the stories making news in Washington delivered to your inbox every day. Subscribe at cspan.org slash connect. Have a good night and weekend. <laughs>